Well, today, I want to preach about abortion from the perspective of the living. I want to preach about abortion from the perspective of the living. You can look up stats on your own. You can look up numbers and figures, and they're all so sad. You can hear sermons about God's view of abortion here previously, and it'll be in the years to come. But today, I want you to notice... And I want you to know that abortion has and will touch each of you relationally. It it has touched you through your family or through your friends. And unfortunately, it will continue to do so. You know, someone who's had an abortion, and in the love of God, what do you say to them? You know that they've gone through that circumstance, And out of concern and love, what do you say? My title for the sermon is called Healing After an Abortion. If you're new with us, we typically go through passages sequentially in books of the Bible. However, in the the memory and in the occasion of Roe versus Wade occurring 49 years ago, I've decided several years ago that each day when typically American churches um, bring light to the dignity of human life. They preach special sermons on this topic, and I want to continue in doing that. In the understanding that abortion touches all of us relationally, and understanding that abortion does happen, I also know that there are some of you here today who daily suffer the misery and the trauma of having had an abortion yourself. The outcome of your abortion are measured and clear. Everyone who has an abortion suffers, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. I want you to know that I recognize that if you've had an abortion and you're here today, I I do understand not what you're going through, but I do understand that you have suffered. And you are here now listening to me, hoping and praying that no one is looking at you. You've had an abortion and your soul echoes a common and reoccurring question, what will God say to me? The last thing you want to do now is hear about what God has to say to you. Sister, remember he is the one who you can go to for help. God in the Bible brings hope to every aspect of turmoil you are experiencing. If you're afraid to face what happened, God's mercy invites you to confess to him. When you grasp your guilt and shame, God offers forgiveness. When you know the regret, your Redeemer is able to rebuild your broken life and make you fruitful. When you feel a pain and notice that it will never go away, God is the refuge for the broken and helpless. Whatever reactions and emotions you experience, God is, friend, committed to you to enter into your struggle and heal your soul. He sympathizes with you in your weakness, but he does more than offer sympathy. It's the Son of God who steps into your life and acts with mercy, gives hope, and sends his Spirit to transform your heart. Now, there is a deafening silence that surrounds abortion today. Nobody brings it up unless it's political or scientific in nature. Now, a lot of us, we feel freedom to talk about abortion 
when it comes to our religious beliefs or the morality of it or the ethics or the political views on this or that or the history of it, but, but very often we are very silent on the soul's experience with abortion. We are silent on the soul's experience with abortion even though it has happened to 60 million women in the last 49 years. Why the silence? Well, possibly because abortion is uniquely viewed with a deep sense of shame. But what do we do now? Sister, what do you do with the pit in your soul wondering if you'll ever heal? If, if anyone does find out, what will they know? What will they say? Your emotions, sister, and feelings reveal what's going on inside you. Don't, don't turn them off. They're, they're revealing that you are a human. No matter how you view abortion intellectually, the, the shame you feel now is a haunting reminder of the pain that has been given. Now, if you've always supported a woman's right to choose an abortion, your, your shame may surprise you. And with it, now who do you speak to? Everyone thinks you made the best decision for you. Everyone thinks you made the right decision, given the circumstances, but, but you're the one stuck with the struggle. Or perhaps you've always believed that abortion was wrong, but because of fear and shame and pressure about a baby, you did the very thing that you oppose. Well, now who can you talk to? Everyone you know would be shocked. If people found out, they would be discouraged. Or your fear may come true. They might even hate you or block you out of their life completely. My prayer this morning is that God's word would help you, you who have had an abortion. With a couple of points, I, I hope that you'll see the pattern from God is how to heal from an abortion in ways you can trust God as you walk toward him. Friend, God is not silent towards those of us who find ourselves needing him. You may have been silent. People around you have been silent. But God is not silent. He actually calls out to you. He summons you to his grace and to his mercy. And if you've had an abortion, hear the call of the shepherd who is gentle and good. Now there's a couple of steps I think we can see from the scriptures and, and how to deal with the soul who has gone through an abortion. And the first one is that the soul is called to remember what has happened, to bring to light what has been done, to you, friend, to come out of hiding. Most people, regardless of what they've suffered through, are encouraged by others to take the grief underground. You may have even heard the phrase, get over it, or it'll be fine. You'll forget it. You'll move on. No one will know. You may have even harshly heard things like this. You, you hide your sorrow, you, though never extinguish the pain. And the pain will soon emerge in, in mysterious, oppressive ways. You think about trying to put something away, trying to hide something in a closet, yet it will emerge in some oppressive, mysterious way in life. There is a reason why women who suffer after an abortion endure eating disorders, depression, nervous breakdowns, substance abuse, cutting themselves, burning themselves, and sometimes even suicide because they want to distract the pain from their soul then onto their body. It's because you're hiding your trauma. 
because you stuffed it away, feeling sorry and loss, though is a human result of what's been done. Committing an abortion is unlike anything else. The way we measure trauma, the way we measure sadness, there, there, is, there is nothing like what you are going through. I can't relate to it. And it's a dangerous territory for anyone to try to relate with other people's suffering. Very often we do the wrong thing by trying to one-up someone accidentally with whatever they're going through. Oh, I've gone through this or that. And there, the person just remains overwhelmed. I don't want to give a cliche or empty Christianese word to this. There's, there is nothing like what you're going through and the toll it takes on women who survive an abortion is something that seems to follow them for the rest of their life. But, but hear me. This isn't like anger. This isn't like lying. This isn't like drunkenness. And you know this. Left in hiding, it becomes very oppressive to your soul, like a cloud that doesn't just get bigger, but it actually squelches the soul altogether. Your fear is that if you ever do come out of hiding, if you ever do talk to someone about this, if you ever do admit to this, then Christians would be shocked. Christians would be angry. Christians would be judgmental towards you. They would, they would never see past this. You are no longer their friend. You are their friend who did this. And they would never forget it. That is your fear. Some would, would see you as awful or even mentally deranged. How could you do this? What is wrong with you? Your fear is. My encouragement to all of us, though, is to be strong as Christians anytime someone comes up to us with something like this to be strong, as well as being tender. As you see a woman bring her sin out from hiding. Be gentle as she rakes away the leaves from her soul so that she can feel the warmth of the sun. It will be harder on her than anything you can endure. If you've caused an abortion, if you've had an abortion, the first step to heal is the most difficult. You must give attention to what's been done. You must remember it. Like a box stuffed away in the attic that you dread opening, you must bring it out of hiding, out, out of fear, and feeling like there's nowhere safe to go, you are tempted to take this to the grave. There's a reason why 50% of women who have an abortion never tell anyone other than the one who performed it. But what is forgotten becomes unavailable. And what is unavailable can never be healed. Remembering is the beginning of healing. And from our passage in Ezekiel chapter 18, we see the contrast of a, of a wicked person and a forgiven person. The wicked person is told to turn from their sin to God. And this isn't a mindless practice. To get anywhere, you have to know where you are first in order to take the step forward. To, to heal from an abortion, you have to bring up what's been done. My prayer is that the people of this church, the people of God, would be the safest people to remember sin alongside you. We never want to try to outdo you, but if anyone understands the danger of that box hiding, it's us. It's not our place to then bring you our own rap sheet, but to hear you and prod you toward God's grace and forgiveness. 
When I previously worked at a church in Charlottesville, Virginia, we had a Sunday morning service and a Sunday evening service, and the Sunday evening service was much like a prayer service with some singing and like a 15-minute teaching session. And occasionally we would have different people give a testimony um, about God working in their life. And after being there for about a year, uh, a young guy, he was 35 at the time, started attending the church. And um, he came on Sunday mornings and, and came occasionally on some Sunday nights. And some people got to know him, but it was actually his first visit. And this, this, was, a, this was a big guy. You, know, you, you think about a linebacker, and that's what he looks like. And there was this little old lady who walked right up to him his first Sunday, and she said, you look alone you should sit with me. And they did, and they sat together, and it's, it's like you know, the movie Twins, where it's like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito, where it's like, these two do not belong together, practically. And every Sunday, she would find him, and she would say, you sit with me. After attending for a couple of weeks, or after a couple of months, he gave his testimony on Sunday night, and he said, I've, I've been skirting around the issue of you all ask why I came to Charlottesville, and the reason was is I came to be in prison. Fifteen years ago, I murdered someone, and I was released a couple of months ago. And I understand if you don't want me to be here anymore. And the old lady got up, and she said, I knew why you were supposed to sit with me. And she said, you have a job. Every time you come, sit with me. The people of God must be the safest group to remember our sins. The shock of the gospel, think about it, Christian, the shock of the gospel isn't the shock of sin. The shock of the gospel is the shock that a holy God forgives a sinful person. And so the first step in healing is is making that memory available to your mind, remembering the thing that you have aimed to stuff away. Now the second step in healing, the first one is to remember the second step in healing from an abortion is to face the reality of what you've done. To to give sin a name or to define what has happened. Facing your sin, identifying it, defining it. That's That's the second step in healing. I had an abortion. Will be the most difficult words you will ever say. Our sins, though, need to be stated. Need to be named. I did this. Must be said. Not so that you will feel more condemnation, not so that you will feel worse, but you must face the gravity of the wrong so that you can fully turn to a gracious Redeemer who you now know knows exactly who you are. Now the mystery of the gospel and the mystery of our view of God is he actually already knows everything about us. But he wants us to know exactly who we are and then overwhelm us with his grace and forgiveness. But we must identify the sin in order to heal. Confession is the only door to God. Through confession, we're able to walk towards his forgiveness. Now, to to give a little context, abortion often is an act done in the midst of mass confusion on the woman. An abortion clinic is like a spiritual war zone. And a woman who goes through it is in, is in a fog of war. It's often not done out of convenience. It's not a convenient act that a woman would find herself there. And we have to understand the pressure that, that many of these women are under when they consider an abortion. Satan and others 
prod them and convince them that there is no good way forward other than ending a life. There's pressure, there's coercion, and sometimes there is even forced physically or emotionally the abortion. And the lies and deceits didn't start with the abortion. Our culture is full of lies about love, full of lies about sex, full of lies about marriage or fornication or infidelity. The Bible has a view of love. It has a view of marriage. It has a view of sex. And it has a view of infidelity and fornication. But the world flips those. The world flips what the Bible says is good and it turns everything on its head and then it forces that view intensely on a woman's mind. Now hear me, there's a lot that came at you before and during the process of an abortion. And what typically goes on is women get righteously mad after the abortion because they start recognizing all the things that have been inundating them as false. And what typically goes on is a woman gets angry. They get angry at their boyfriend. They get angry at their doctor. They get angry at their parents or their lack of parents, their, their friends, their job, whatever influence them. But friends, be very careful. You do not want to get caught up in the act of blaming. To heal from an abortion, you must face the sin that you committed. Blame will never set you free. It feels so good in the moment, but it will never set you free from your pain. It actually sets out to deepen it. Remember what happened in Genesis chapter 3, where God gave Adam and Eve a command, God gave a command to Eve, or God gave a command to Adam, and what happened after they committed the sin? Adam blamed the woman, it says in the Bible, and the woman blamed Satan. Yet both of them sinned. Our passage in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 20, look at it there, it says, The soul who sins will die. The son will not bear the iniquity of the father, nor, the, nor will the father bear iniquity on the son. But the righteousness of the righteous will be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked will be upon himself. There, there's no blame shifting that is allowed when it comes to what you and I do. Listen to women, listen to a woman describe her pathway to forgiveness on her own. This woman said, was it mostly my fault or the fault of those encouraging me to abort? How much fault do the doctors and counselors have in giving me false information? Was it partly my parents' fault? There's no way that I could have faced them with a pregnancy. Am I not accepting responsibility if I say it's not all my fault? This conflict that I've felt in trying to grease the wheels of blame was a terrible situation in my own life. No matter what I looked to, I felt trapped until I realized the degree of guilt didn't matter anymore. I, nor anyone else, couldn't judge the percentage of blame. My responsibility, though, was to acknowledge before God what I had done was wrong and to ask him for forgiveness. My friend, in healing from an abortion, the hardest thing to do is to bring it up. And the next hard thing to do is to face the music. You see the point, turning point of this woman, though. It is natural and common to get caught up in the fueling energy of blame and 
hatred because the pressure is real. The lies are real. Friend, God will, God will face others for their fault in your abortion. Know that. He will face all. But you must allow him to face you and yours. Now, one thing to be asked of this is, where are the men? When you think of abortion, I'm willing to bet that a woman pops into your mind. But where are the men? For every aborted baby, there's a man who is part of the act. Now, some of the men are pushed aside. They're not allowed to be a part of the discussion. They may not even know about it. But that's a small portion. There are a lot of men who are a part of the coercion. And let me say it like this. The, the women should not face the music alone. The most cowardly thing we see in the Bible is Adam passively watching Eve sin in the garden. What he should have done when the serpent approached her is gotten in the serpent's way. He should have protected what God had given him even if you were a boyfriend. should have protected what God has placed you around. I have a friend who received a check for a couple of hundred dollars from an ex-girlfriend randomly in the mail. It had been 10 years, and he knew exactly what the check was for. He hadn't told anyone, not even his wife. The dollar amount on the check was the amount that he gave his then-girlfriend for an abortion. She paid him back. He said, nothing ever made me feel like less of a man than that moment. I knew I had ruined the baby's life, and I knew that I ruined hers. And she sent me a check for 200 bucks. I've heard for a long time that godly women will follow godly men. And men, if you have sinned, you need to face the music too. And if you do the hard, right thing, you will not only find healing from your own act, but you will give courage and help to a woman who has been hiding because of your act of non-protection. Love women by starting now to fight for their soul. To heal from an abortion, you need to remember what's been done. The Bible is clear that you need to identify what has happened in sin. And you also need to face it. You need to confess it. You need to be honest about it. I did this. You'll never heal without it. Please put into words and face your wrongs for the path of healing is a soul-saving work. Now third, speaking to healing from an abortion, you may have brought this up and not hidden it. You may have acknowledged it and brought it before the Lord and yet you still find yourself really stuck. It's a pain that never seems to go away. It's a, it's a pit that continues to find another divot to hide in. And the third step to heal, then, is to confess that sin in community with others. It's to remember, it's to identify, but then confess in the midst of others. You may feel oppressed because you've been trying to deal with this on your own. One of the gifts that God has given us as the church is the freedom and safety to confess our sins to one another. <laughs> and none of us like doing it, do we? <laughs> like if I told you 
Or if you asked me, tell me how you've sinned this past week. No, no one starts a conversation like that. They always say, I mean, I had it asked like 20 times a day to me. Like, how was your week? And I tell you it was fine. And I tell you I did this and that. It is so, so difficult to bring up. This is where I failed. And especially if you've had an abortion, that initial time to tell someone is going to be so difficult. But there is safety in our confession of our sins to one another, to other believers. We come to one another, and the reason is we come to one another on the same level. The level that we approach one another in community is is not a level that we built our own. It's not a platform that we established ourselves. It's not, a, it's not an equal playing field because of anything that we've contributed. We approach one another because of God's grace altogether. That's why it's safe to confess in community. We confess to one another with the same sincerity. There, there's a zeal and a heart behind confessing a sin because of God's mercy, not because we are anything special. In fact, we are clearly the reason why we are confessing this sin. And we also get to remind one another of the same power that exists between us, God's forgiveness. Here's what confessing to one another, here's what confessing to other Christians allows. There's a, there's a unique, uh, harsh joy that happens when Christians confess their sins to one another. There's a more certain forgiveness because I can look right at you and remind you if you've confessed your sins that God has forgiven you of your sins. There's a more urgent reminder there and there's a modeled sense of love. When I confess my sin to another person, another Christian looks me in the face, in the face a person who knows mercy, a Christian who knows forgiveness, and they reassure me of God, what God's word says about God. Friends, we are forgetful people. You've heard that again and again. We are constantly needing reminders of God's grace, even in the midst of confessing the sin of abortion. But don't forget, one of the worst things we can do is forget what God has said. Do not forget Hebrews chapter 8, 12. I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Do not forget Isaiah 43, 25. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and I will remember your sins no more. Do not forget Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Do not forget Micah chapter 7, verse 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all your sins into the depths of the sea. Do not forget Isaiah chapter 44, verse 22. I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like a mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Friends, we confess our sins to one another because... I need you to remind me of my Savior. I need to remind you of God's forgiveness in your life. One of the sweetest things in knowing God's love and forgiveness is in the reality of hearing it from someone else, that truth about him. By keeping your confession from others, you are keeping their affirming reminders of God's love from you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, says, where there is a deep anxiety and trouble over your sin, 
where the certainty of forgiveness is sought but not found, there comes the invitation in the name of Jesus to come to brotherly confession. Those who, despite all their personal attempts, cannot find the joy of fellowship, those who cannot find the joy of the cross, those who cannot find the joy of new life, those who cannot find the joy of certainty, should be shown the blessing that God offers us in mutual confession. Friend, without confessing your sin to God amongst others, you may never move beyond the memories of your own sin. We may never move beyond the identity of our own sin, but in confession with trusted saints, we can be led to certain waters of fresh life. James 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The soul needed to be reminded of the Savior's love is what brings healing. And what sweeter voice does that sound like than from someone who you know and now you know loves you no matter what? Sisters, in healing from an abortion, confess your sin to another Christian. Let them regularly remind you in your seasons of doubt of the debt you no longer carry. Let them speak with certainty to you when the great liar tempts you to despair. Turn over to the book of Mark if you have a copy of the Bible. The book of Mark chapter 5. We've seen this story in the book of Matthew, the lady who had been bleeding for more than a decade. But Matthew just briefly describes it. Mark goes into fuller detail because of the context of which he was talking about Christ with. In verse 25 of Mark chapter 5, we see that a woman had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians, meaning she had, she had exhausted all the doctors that she could go to, all the help that she could have. And she heard that Jesus was coming. And so it says there in the text that she came up in the crowd in verse 27. She came up in the crowd from behind him and touched his garment. For she was saying out loud, if I, if I could just touch his garments, I'll be saved from this. And immediately as she touched her garment, immediately the flow of her blood was dried up and she knew within her body that she had been healed of her affliction. Immediately there, that the power of the Savior had touched her. But this was all done in silence. God was not pleased with this circumstance of healing to happen without others knowing. God drew her and actually brought her to a public confession of what had been going on. Look at the text. It says, and immediately the flow of blood was dried up, and then in verse 30, and immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around to the crowd and was saying, who touched my garments? And his disciples were saying to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you? And you're saying, who touched me? Clearly indicating like, Jesus, literally everyone is touching you right now. We're all crowding around. It's like a giant herd of cattle. Like, which one's touching more of the other? We're all touching each other. And he was looking around to see the woman who had done this. He was, 
he was aiming to identify, and he knew who she was and where she was, and so he looked around to identify who she was. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth with others in earshot. She didn't just confess what had happened to the Lord, but others were allowed to know. And he said to her then, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. But there's an end here. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. She had already been healed. The blood had dried up. She was already physically healed. But by her, by her openly saying for anyone to hear of what had just happened, now her soul can go and heal. Friends, it is not a Christian's goal to try to coerce a confession out of you, acting like some kind of bully of like, you're never going to be happy and tell everyone the deepest, dark part of your sin. But we are needing the reminder of what God has done as long as he has us here. The more you hide your sin, the more peace will be out of reach. So if you're here and you've never confessed your sin in the realm of abortion, if you're here right now and you've been in silence, to whom is God calling you to speak to? And friend, if you believe that God has given you ears to listen at this moment, is God preparing you to hear the worst news in someone else's life? In the right time, confess in a community of believers, <clears throat> believing in God's forgiveness, acceptance, and good plans for you is not something you do just once. You need to remember and remember and remember and depend on God's love and forgiveness every day and then move forward in faith. The forgiveness that you have from any sin is a once-for-all moment, but the reminder is the ongoing process of God having forgiven you of your sins. I haven't managed my time very well this morning. If you're using an outline on the bulletin, I had originally there six points. We're not... (laughs) We're done. We're done with three. (laughs) But let me conclude with some notes to you. I've given you the the three steps, I believe, that will help you heal from an abortion. Remembering what happened, identifying it, and then confessing it in community. I've given you three steps to heal from an abortion in the path. This path, I pray, is just one of repentance. Repentance. This is what any Christian does when we confess our sins. We aim to repent of our sins. Whether it's you yelling at your mom or having an abortion. God is calling you to be healed by repenting of your sin. But let me end by telling you about how God has acted towards you. God will meet you right where you are. He will meet you in your silence. He will meet you in what feels like humiliation. He will meet you in your guilt and in your shame. And throughout the Bible, God promises those who come to him and ask for mercy will never be ashamed. He says, do not be afraid in Isaiah 54. Do not be afraid. You will not suffer shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth. Friends, God invites you 
to come out of the closet and talk honestly with him about your sin. He gives you powerful reasons not to be afraid and to forget the shame of what you did. Remember that God is described and is a redeemer of your soul. A redeemer who personally steps into a broken, dark situation and reverses it. He makes wrong right. He makes dark places bright. Where there is shame, he brings mercy. When, he, when his mercy enters your life, gratitude and courage replace this shame. How does God do this? How does he replace your guilt, with shame, or guilt and shame with his mercy and grace? He did this. He came in the person of Christ Jesus to redeem the world, to redeem you, your soul. He stepped into our brokenness, into a sinful world, into a world riddled with disease and pain and psychological warfare, and he took it all on himself. He died on a cross for your sins, including this sin that is weighing you down right now. God's promise of mercy to you is backed up by the broken body of his son. Jesus' death is your guarantee that when you come to God and confess your sins to him, you will receive mercy. The gospel of Jesus is for you who know and admit and confess your sin. Jesus won't meet your confession with scorn. He will not meet your confession with reproach or with judgment and condemnation, but with kindness and forgiveness. Jesus' death and resurrection guarantee that God will accept your confession and meet you with forgiveness and protection. Once you confess your sin to God, you are no longer under his judgment. God put his judgment not on you, but on Jesus. Evil visited Jesus because of the judgment that you deserved, it fell on him to where you are no longer condemned. All of God's wrath against his people was already poured out. So you can be free of your fear of God as acting like he'll continue to punish you or get you back for what you did. One of my friends who's a counselor said that the first woman who ever confessed to him that she had an abortion was 67 years old had been attending their church for 35 years and had sat in the parking lot every day during his office hours for three months and then finally came in. And after their hour-long meeting, she left the chair and left the office and he said her chair was soaking wet. And he said, this may seem like a weird connection, But every time I think about that wet chair, everything, every time I think about that, that sweat-soaked fabric, I'm reminded of the spear that stabbed Jesus when he was on the cross and water flowed out. Friends, Paul, Psalm chapter 25, verse 20 says, Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. For those of you who had an abortion, find refuge in Christ. And if need be, let us demonstrate how he is forgiving. Let's pray.